0: Welcome to Team Building Cultures, the podcast designed to deliver tools and tips for improving team communication, collaboration, and fostering a culture where teams thrive. Now, here's your host, Beverly Hathorn, owner of Strategic HR Consultants.
1: Hello, listeners, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Team Building Cultures. I am Beverly Hathorn, your host. And today, I have Mr. Mark Garrett-Hayes joining me. This is going to be an awesome conversation. I'm sure you'll all get a lot from it. Um, Mr. Hayes is a sales enablement consultant. He's an accredited coach and certified trainer. He's truly passionate about helping sales leaders empower their salespeople and dramatically boost both performance and revenue. Mark works both in-house and remotely with sales teams internationally to help sales leaders get the very best from their teams. His first book, Sales Coaching Essentials, was published in May of 2022 and is now shortlisted for the Business Book Awards for 2023. Today, Mark is going to talk to us about why coaching is so important. He's going to help us understand how we can learn to coach and be a better leader. And he's also going to talk to us about the skills that we need to be a great coach. This is going to be a very insightful and engaging conversation, and I'm excited to get started. So thank you so much, Mark, for joining me today. I appreciate your time.
0: My pleasure, Beverly. Thank you for welcoming me.
1: Yeah, yeah. This will be awesome. So uh, talk to me about, to begin, how you got started as a sales coach.
0: Um, well, I've, I've held numbers, a number of jobs over the years. I've worked in several countries. I'm from Ireland originally. I've worked in the States, in uh, South Africa, Germany, France, Spain, currently living in Spain again. And I've worked for a variety of industries, including FinTech and technology companies. And all the time, I was really interested in in standard learning and development, if you will. So helping people through training, through coaching. And more and more, I got into sales and then held a role in a management position or a sales leader position, managing a group of salespeople. I wasn't very good at that job. And I realized then through working with colleagues of mine, how to improve And what those people did to help me was to coach me, not to tell me what to do, but to help me through coaching to discover what to do for my reasons. And so in that time, I have learned by observing, by working, by listening to other salespeople, the power of sales coaching and how it helps people to really unlock their performance and achieve great things
1: awesome. Yeah, you know, it's it's not often that we um, are able to uh, observe and learn how to be a better coach by being coached. We have to have good coaches in order for us to to glean, you know, how to move forward in that area. So I'm curious, what's the difference between uh, training and coaching?
0: Yeah, a great question. Training effectively is information, whereas coaching is transformation. If, for example, I give you some documentation, let's say it's compliance training, I give you some modules, I give you some PDFs, some material to learn about a subject, and then I might run some kind of assessment, that's training. Coaching is when I don't necessarily have to know the subject matter, I can ask great questions using a particular framework, for example, GROW, Comes to mind. That's perhaps something that your listeners might be familiar with. And so through careful conversation, I help you to discover what you're doing, what you're not doing, what you could be doing, and ultimately help you to find a plan to do what you need to do. So, in in essence, there are maybe 15, 16 key differences between training and coaching. And I outline those in the back of my book. But very simply, if you think of anyone standing at the top of a room and and telling you things or recording a video and giving you some instructions, that is training. I'm basically taking some stuff I know and helping you to absorb that and to learn it and to embed that. But coaching is working with what you already know and help someone to perhaps realize something. Oh, I didn't realize I'm doing that or I'm not doing this or I'm doing this and it's having these consequences. So coaching is much more about mindset and less about skill set.
1: Ah, that's the key right there. Coaching is more about establishing how you go about to do things so that you can mm. eventually go forward on your own while training will just teach you how to do that one particular thing. So yeah, that's, that's a great uh, synopsis. Thank you. So what does world-class sales coaching look like? What goes on there?
0: Yeah, so in in essence, coaching can be applied in different areas. You can think of leadership coaching, life coaching, uh, even things like coaching in marriages, relationships, and so on. Uh, Coaching or sales coaching specifically is where coaching is applied to sales competencies. So I would work with account executives or sales leaders or senior sales leaders, and I'll help them perhaps to, in the case of senior people, uh, create a plan, a first 100 goals or first 100 days in their role with salespeople, AEs, I'll help them through deal reviews or pipeline reviews or performance reviews, or maybe something specific like um, strategy with a particular account. And so we can bring fundamental coaching skills to bear in areas which concern salespeople So world-class sales coaching, you could say, to answer your question, is about helping people who are in sales roles, which of course is the lifeblood of any organization, to sell more, sell better, and to accelerate the sales process. For example, someone could be struggling to close an opportunity. Let's say they're working on a deal worth $100,000 to pull a figure from the air and they can't get through to particular people or they haven't yet qualified that prospect rigorously, a sales coach can help that person by asking questions to help them to realize, oh, I haven't done this, I haven't done this, and I'm halfway through this, or I've done this, but not completely. And so we can bring coaching skills to bear on the sales process. We can use coaching to apply... um, to help someone with their sales qualification methodology or perhaps individual deals or their pipeline, a whole range of areas. So sales is is quite a broad topic, but what I will do and my team will do will work with organizations to help their salespeople to accelerate uh, particular opportunities or to compress the sales cycle um, to qualify people better. There's a whole range of areas in which we can apply coaching within sales.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, I see. So with the uh, performance reviews and the establishing the strategies, do you actually, uh, as a sales coach, do you actually complete those activities for your clients? Or do you help? Do you coach your clients to create those uh, processes? Yeah, that's a great
0: question, because a danger is when you know the answer that you jump in and try and fix that, or you say, look, I'll do it, I'll take that off your hands. And as a leader, if you do that, and do it repeatedly, you become the, the sun in your own solar system, everything revolves around you, everything depends upon you, everything goes through you comes from you. It's onerous, and it's really exhausting. And what coaching does is it's supposed to help you as a leader to free up your um, your pipeline of, of tasks and helping people to build accountability. So we're keeping accountability on the coaches side of the table. The coach is the person being coached and the coach is the person doing the coaching. So a coach has to be very careful not to take on the to-dos of the person being coached. Because if you do that, you become really a fixer. And the person who is coaching well is supposed to be a facilitator, not a fixer. So I will reduce any temptation to try and impose my solution or jump in and fix things for people by taking things from them and doing them themselves. If I do that, Beverly, I'm shortcutting or neglecting someone's innate ability to get unstuck. It's very important that we hire people who are coachable. And use coaching to help that person to keep accountability within themselves, with themselves, for their own reasons. And when something comes from someone, it's more likely to be valued by that person, uh, understood by that person, and followed through by that person. When it comes from me or from a third party, it can be rejected, overlooked, or simply discarded. And that's no good to anyone
1: understood completely, I like that you say be a facilitator and not a fixer. And I also agree with you and in total alignment that when something comes directly from someone's uh, thought process and their um, requirement to create and think, they take ownership of it. Then it becomes their process, not a process that has been imposed upon them. It actually becomes their Thing that they do. And then they can take that and grow that. That spurs creativity and innovation. You know, so uh, that's a wonderful concept. And I, I really like that. I think I'm going to steal that little moniker from you going forward. Be a facilitator, not a fixer. <laughs> so what is the, what would you say is the business case for coaching salespeople? How do our sales leaders know that they need to coach their salespeople let's say you know they're not making the numbers they're not closing the deals, so we know something needs to happen but mm-hmm. how do how do we know that we actually need a coach
0: well i would say you have to first of all realize who is coachable and who isn't coachable not everyone is coachable some people are just stubborn or just not open to being coached some people need micromanagement hopefully For those of you listening, you'll not have too many people like that, but there are people who literally need to be told what to do, how to do it, when to do it. We don't want to have those people in the majority in a team. It's enormously taxing and exhausting and stressful. We need to hire people who are coachable. They're open to feedback. They take feedback on board and they auto-correct or self-correct. So I've got to apply coaching where coaching will work and yield results. If we are, if we think of um Ken Blanchard's SL2 model, that's a great place to start. Some people are, let's say, your A players as salespeople. They might need some kind of support, some kind of mentoring, but not necessarily coaching. Your B players would be people who are, I would think, the most coachable. And that's been corroborated by research. Um outlined in the book, The Challenger Sale, that's right, by Matt Dixon and Brent Adamson. And they exhort leaders to coach their B players, their people who are the most coachable. Your C players are people who probably have not a high skill set, and they might need some kind of delegation, some more training, some more upskilling. And your D players, hopefully, you've not got too many of those, are people who are more than likely those who need micromanagement from you. So the first place to start is to say, who is going to be coachable? Who is someone who, when coached by me, will follow their own advice? They'll come up with their own solutions, they'll get unstuck. And I think of three U's: uncover, understand, unlock. So someone is coachable is going to be willing to be coached by you so they understand their shortcomings, what they're doing well, what they're not doing well, what they could do better. And they're open to feedback through coaching. They're also likely to their un- understand what they need to do to get the results that they're accountable for. And the last thing is what I call unlock, which means that person will t- take accountability, responsibility for doing what they need to do to hit their targets, to you know hit their goals. And the coach is to facilitate that person and helping them to realize, here's what I've got to do. Here's what I'm not doing. Here's how I close that gap.
1: Gotcha. Uncover, understand and unlock. And, -hmm. you know, I can understand where you're saying that the B players, that's probably where you're going to get most bang for your buck because they're almost there, but not quite. And Mm -hmm. then your D players, maybe in some cases, there might be other job opportunities that they should seek. Yeah, (laughs) they're
0: they're candidates for moving on, moving up or moving out. Yeah, And some people sometimes are just in the wrong role. They're not salespeople, but they might work well in sales operations or sales enablement, but they're just not that kind of person with that hunger and resilience to succeed in sales. And sales is a tough job because you get more no's than you get yeses, statistically speaking.
1: Yes, yes. And resilience is a great word for that because it's hard to power through when you continue to Um, be rejected in a sense, for lack lack of a better word, you know, it's hard to power through and that takes a certain level of tenacity and Confidence and belief in oneself, I would think, is mm-hmm. also, um, you know, uh, an added um, personality trait um, to 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 keep you moving in, in sales. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, it is not an easy arena to excel, and it's also um, not an easy arena to retain. Um, I think that salespeople sometime, unfortunately, are only as good as last month's numbers or, you know, last Mm -hmm. quarter's numbers. And so may slide down that rank to a C or D player when, you know, they just maybe really need some coaching. But we've got people like you to come along and help us identify those folks. It's like, no, this is this is this is a B player that we need to work with. So that's that's great that we have people like you. So what are some of the skills that uh, leaders need to be effective at coaching?
0: Well, you really have to be, I think, curious. Great salespeople are curious because they're always asking questions, What are you using? How long has this been going on? Uh, what are your goals? What have you tried? Um, what are your targets? So they're always asking questions. So you have to have an innate sense of curiosity. If your goal is to tell people, impose things, dumb things on people as solutions, then that's not selling. I think selling is asking, selling is not telling. Most of us have this um, you know, image in our heads of a salesperson who's, who's a fast talker and like someone on a car lot, just wants to re- literally unload some spiel on you coaches are great at using questioning skills That's skill number one understanding what questions to ask and how to ask them and how to formulate those and there are three different levels of asking questions and so when you think of that as a skill set it's so tempting to give someone a loaded question where it sounds like a question but it's actually a request dressed up as a question. So I might say, um, have you thought about doing blah, 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 blah? And that really is an instruction dressed up as a question. So instead, I try and focus on asking questions along the lines of, um, what's your intention here? What, what have you tried? What are your goals for this particular account? Um, who are the people you've not yet spoken to? If you were to have one conversation with a key decision maker, what would that be about? and so on. And I'll try not to stack questions as well, where I ask a question and a question and a question, and I confuse people. So it sounds obvious, but so many of us ask questions in the wrong ways. And as a coach, you have to be really good at asking questions neutrally, but also with lots of intention. So in the book, I've encouraged people to think of ways to formulate questions that are Really, an invitation to get someone to open up and not feel like they're being interrogated, which is an easy thing to do. People feel like you're asking why, 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 and people go um, get on the, uh, you know, go on the defensive. So we have to be curious. We've got to ask great questions. Be aware of how we ask them, when and why, and ask them at different levels. And we also then have to be good at listening. And again, it sounds obvious, but listening is something that we're not necessarily always good at because there are three, maybe four levels of listening. And when we listen superficially, we miss things. We're, we miss intonation and cadence and cues. And we focus on someone's breath and we try and rush in with something to to say in between their sentences. So it takes a lot of work, actually, to listen really uh, empathetically at level three and then even globally at level four where we're able to almost extricate ourselves from the conversation and hover as if we're a fly on the wall and observe and listen to the back and forth between participants in a conversation and pick up on nuances and things which are unsaid as much as things which are said. And that does take a lot of work. And it's actually very, very tiring because you've to use parts of your brain which would not necessarily be used in ordinary level one listening. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is an ability to paraphrase. And so I can take something you've said, and I can repeat this back to you in a way where you listen to the exact words I've used, the exact way you've said them, and you might then come to some realization, that's not what I meant, or I meant to say it this way and here's a chance to rephrase. So there are arguably three, possibly four skill sets. And none of them are extremely difficult in terms of their complexity, but they do take practice. So there's no diploma in listening. There's no diploma in asking questions, Beverly. There's no such course from university on that. But in terms of the university of life, these are skills we all need, irrespective of what role we play, whether we're managers or parents or siblings. If you can apply these skills to your people relationships and think of yourself like a coach to everyone, you know, it's amazing what can happen. And I have read some amazing books on leaders and over the years, of course, there's no shortage of books and leadership, but the thing that comes up again and again is the power of, of coaching. And people have said to me that if there's one thing anyone needs to get right, as a leader of people, it is their ability to coach, not to manage, that's arguably a job title, but coaching is really leadership on steroids. It's where you're able to help people um, meet their own goals for their own reasons, using their own solutions and innate abilities.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful, and um, I agree that uh, coaching is critical. And the the way in which you uh, perform that activity needs to come across as um, not intrusive, or a, as you're interrogating. And the listening listening skills are something that I think we all could could always work on, particularly when some people listen only to prepare themselves for their response. You know, they're not really listening to what uh, is actually being said. And you can tell that by the next thing that they say, you know, it's like, okay, you weren't really listening. And sometimes I think salespeople need to listen to hear cues that maybe my product is not best for this person, you know, Um, instead of, punching us back with reasons why we should, and then it it ends up being a back and forth and a back and forth. And mm-hmm. I'm sure as a coach that you coach people to recognize when maybe this deal is not the best deal for this particular client, instead of you just winning the deal, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's good for them or not. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's, that's that, you know, that listening skill is really something that we all need to work on and um, will benefit us all better. So how do you find and hire and determine who's a good salesperson? What does that look like? Does that jump right out at you? Is it an innate ability to recognize or is it something in their personality? Or is mm-hmm. it, how, how do you determine, you know, cause you probably have decided I'm not a great salesperson. <laughs>
0: No, that's, not at all, not at all. I, I think it's, not
1: but it's a number take. of things.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really hard to say because within sales, there are people who might be right selling technology. Others might be selling uh, tangible assets like cars or real estate and so on. And some people might be great salespeople, but just not comfortable with a particular product or service. So there has to be an affinity and a passion, I think, for the, the product or service that they're selling. Um, that that's an, a first step. Um, there are arguably three things which I would focus on when developing salespeople. One is product knowledge, so they have to understand, have an affinity for, and and be interested in, perhaps passionate about the product or service that they're um, selling. Secondly, there is process knowledge, which is how to sell that thing. And again, um, selling real estate would require a different process, perhaps from selling complex enterprise-level software for, let's say, manufacturers. That's a different thing completely. And the process knowledge entails, for example, how to qualify prospects, how to have great conversations without those ideal clients, and then how to get them to buy from you, trust you, trust you and buy from you. The third kind of knowledge would be proof knowledge, which is an ability to tell great stories. So, if we want people to trust us and buy from us, and people have to trust you before they buy from you, they you have to be able to tell stories and success stories of how organizations like the person you're speaking to has bought from people like you before and what success they've seen. It's amazing how many people can't do that. They rush in with with uh, giving information, solutions, uh, product feature sets, and so on without telling great stories. And we're wired for stories. And and the fourth. I would say skill set is is people knowledge and ability to use emotional intelligence to connect with people, understand people, and to like people and to reflect um, to understand what kind of person you're buying from. Um, so I will look for a mixture of those things when interviewing salespeople. But you know, most of us at some point will have some level of instinct or gut feeling about someone. So you could look for the traditional signs like the track record. If someone's been in sales before, maybe you have to hire salespeople who've been in that industry before. I don't always see that as being successful because to my mind, a CV is retrospective. What I want from a great salespeople or person is perspective. So what can they do for me? So one of the things I will do when interviewing salespeople is I will set them tasks. I will give them something to perform, something simple, not too complex or onerous. And I will then give them some feedback and I'll see and listen, observe whether they incorporate that feedback in what I've uh, said to them. And so I'll give them a second chance to perform that task, something very simple and quick. And if they're not incorporating that feedback, that's not a good sign. That's Uh, almost telling me that person's not coachable because I can give you feedback, but you'll not pick up on that. So one of the things you'll need to look for is how likely is someone to take feedback, be open to feedback and take it on board and absorb that and use it. And that's a very simple fail-safe mechanism at interview time. Um, Something else I will look for is when hiring people is I'll not try to focus too much on the CV. CV is really a, a HR thing. Um, I'm more focused. That's a screening tool in many respects. What I will look for is is someone's ability to pitch me and ask great questions, but other way around. So if someone is doing all the talking and asking me no questions at all, that's not a good sign. If someone is asking me questions about the job, about the prospects, about the kind of companies we sell to, whom we serve, and, and, and so on, and they're gathering information like a stone gathering moss. That's a sign that someone is curious and likely to be a better listener than a talker. Um, And also something else that comes to mind as you've asked me that question is where I find salespeople. And I've found that over the years, they're not always where you think they are. So if if your tendency is to hire people from the same place you've got other salespeople, you're going to have Uh, almost a cookie cutter kind of salesperson. And sometimes we need fresh blood. So i found people who several times have a sports background, um, minor league baseball, one guy in particular, um, former triathlete, one girl in particular, uh, two military veterans, one, maybe three, maybe three failed business owners, all of them, have been successful salespeople, why? Um, Well, first of all, often people who have a a business mentality, whether they've succeeded or not, they've learned about the importance of organization and they know what, what a dollar is worth. They're not thinking like employees. And so they see themselves more like franchisees than employees. What do I mean? This desk is their means to make an income and they view the territory like a franchise. Uh, for a subway or something. So I want someone who sees themselves as a business person. And so I'll often ask people to present a territory plan or a business plan to me. Not a case of here, give me a job, which is perhaps an employee mindset, but here's how I'm going to um, take the investment uh, that you're giving me, and I'm going to return uh, that X-fold to you. Here's how, here's my plan. I'm going to learn this. I'm going to do this and I'm going to hit these targets. Here's how. I don't know these things. I need to know these things. And so that person is open to developing their skill set, not like an employee, but like a business owner. So I look for that sign of almost entrepreneurship in salespeople. They're not thinking like, well, I'm entitled to this, this, this. Okay, maybe you are, but what's your plan to generate income, to generate yield from the accounts, the territory global named accounts um, which you're responsible for and so they're comfortable talking about things which a business person would would think about. They have that employee uh, they've lost that employee mindset. they're thinking like salespeople, business owners. Also I've found that people who have um, leadership positions, perhaps they've done something in the community or they're reservists or they're veterans again they have that sense of of discipline, of routine, of rituals, things to be done to get results. And I've also found interestingly, and a couple of times this has worked where someone has maybe not been to university and they have this real desire to prove themselves to themselves and to their loved ones. And so there is no you know, factory producing salespeople. I think you've got to look for a bunch of things and often use your instinct and experience, but be very careful about hiring people unless they're meeting the requirements. So to answer your question, over the years, it's been a combination of those things. And and at, at my age and stage of life, I think I've gotten pretty good at quickly figuring out who's got the hallmarks, maybe not the experience, or they have the experience and the hallmarks. And I can work with that. I can work with people who display those signs and are coachable. So the first thing I will look for Is is coachability, the ability and willingness to be coached.
1: You know, that's very interesting. And I want to back up a little bit to something that you said that really grabbed my attention. When you were speaking about how you would prefer your uh, potential salespeople look at it as an entrepreneur opportunity, as opposed Mm -hmm. to just a job, because that's something that I look for in my teams, though I don't coach or develop sales teams. Uh, I typically uh, coach and develop um, contact center agents, but that's something that I look for. I look for your ownership in this organization. Are you just going to sit here and do your aid and hit the gate, as I like to say. Just come in and, you know, <laughs> right. perform the task that we give you. And then, you know, you're out the door. Or are you going to sit here and think of ways that we can be more effective, more efficient, how we can better serve our customers, how we can improve our product, how we can improve our delivery, our team building. You know, that's that's something that I look for as well, that um, that innate desire to own this thing that I'm a part of, to not just be a cog in the wheel, but to actually take some responsibility and ownership for making it better, for making it grow, for making it increase. So that's, you know, that, that really, when you said that, that really kind of caught my attention because I was thinking, yeah, I look for the same things. So, um, it's interesting how sales is not as far removed from any other organizational, um, position as we might think, you know, um, you really kind of look for some of the same things and you kind of, um, work towards developing the same, um, the same traits, you know, to be successful. Very interesting.
0: It's in some respects, sales can be quite different because you are judged less, I think, than you might be in sales. So, in terms of sales, a seller is up against the targets. They have particular volumes to meet. Someone could be an accountant uh, doing a role, following particular uh, procedures, but they're not necessarily on the hook for the kinds of um, revenue goals that a salesperson would be. Now, it depends on the kind of salesperson, but this is why often there's high turnover in sales mm-hmm. because you, you are, it's an external facing role. Many roles, you know, people I've hired uh, through for for non-customer-facing roles, they're just doing things because they're following an SOP or a procedure of some kind. But a salesperson is literally on the hook every week, every quarter, every month for particular outcomes. And if they're not earning, they're churning, and they're likely to um, be given the short shrift and it's it's true for leadership too. So there are roles where I would say, yes, you you could survive, you could swim for a while, you could paddle for a while, but sales is not one of them. Sales can be quite stressful for a for a bunch of reasons we've covered. And a lot of great salespeople um have stories of just not making a quarter or you know falling short of targets. And this is where coaching helps. And so there are some roles, arguably, where coaching is not necessary, but I think sales is one of them where it is because there's so much going on, so many pressures, um, so many conversations, so many no's, so much um, to to learn to be productive. And when you think of the the, the lifeline of a salesperson, it could be as low as, as 12 months if someone's not generating revenue earning you know, hitting targets—they're gone. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I know some people, without naming them, sh- shouldn't really have lasted the first year, but they're still there because the role they're facing is really hard to measure. It's just a—it's a role. But but with sales, you're you're chasing targets and, and numbers all the time, and it's therefore much more stressful. And there's a higher likelihood of people not lasting unless they're actually doing that.
1: Mm-hmm. And and sales sales is very high very much a high turnover, um, position. Uh, when I was in corporate America, I would see our salespeople, um, just come and go, you know, they, they were there and then they, they weren't. And that's where I kind of got the feeling that, oh, you know, you're really only as good or, you know, as last quarter's numbers or last month's numbers, however, you know, you're being measured, which is, um, somewhat unfortunate but i guess it's just a part of you know it's a part of the job you're here to sell for the company and Mm -hmm. you know bring in that revenue and uh, if you're not that's your only job you know it's not like you know we have other aspects that we measure you by it's you know it's your only job to do that so it is and if
0: we i mean sometimes it's not someone's fault um i worked for companies where a particular substantial account has been lost and all of a sudden there's no need for that salesperson. They've done nothing wrong, but they're not needed as, as headcount because an account's gone out the door and the account managers and everyone else goes with them. Whereas you could still have people in operations who are insulated from that. So sales is quite vulnerable as a position. However, I would I would argue that it's the most fun of any of the roles I've done over the years Sales is is so much fun because there's so much upside and you can make such a difference if you're the right person with the right skill set and mindset and heart set.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I've I've never heard it described as fun, but I I guess it would be because the highs are really high. So, oh, yeah. (laughs) And yeah. And there's a certain pat on the back once you land that one client or once you close that one deal that that is like immediate adrenaline rush because of the success that you've just experienced. So I could see where it would be fun. I could. Yeah, I could definitely see that. So tell me a little bit about your book, sales coaching essentials. Tell me a little bit about it. You know, what's, what's some of the stuff we're going to find in it and where can we get it?
0: Okay. So I began, I actually wrote the book, um, during COVID and I thought I need to come out of COVID with something. Um, because in year, years from now, um, I'll look back and I'll tell people about that time when we couldn't wear, we couldn't go anywhere, at least here in Europe. And, um, um, uh, you know, there was restriction on travel, even socializing, depending on the country you're in or were in, it was quite um, quite a lockdown. And uh, in the UK, you know, you literally had to have a good reason to go outdoors. So I thought, well, since I'm indoors whilst on Zoom, I should really have something to at least show for the time. And so I set myself the challenge of writing a book. And I can tell you this, it was not easy because the first I'd say year and a half, I'd go for long walks when I could, or a cycle or something. And I just could not get my head around writing a book. What do I do? How do I, who's this for? And, and it really was really hard. And I think part of the trouble is I, I measured myself or compared myself with other people. And that's always a bad idea. Because I always say you've got to uh, complete, not compete. Uh, think of think of a, a goal and how you're going to get there. And so I realized that the way to do this is to put myself in the mindset of the person who needs my help. And then it began to flow. And so I wrote the book in three parts. First of all, one, the, the skills that someone needs to coach. And the book is written in a way that makes it conversational. It's not some academic work or opus. It's something which is very accessible. And people have said to me again and again, the word that comes to mind is practical, 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 easy to read, uh, no preaching. Here's what how to do this, and here's why you might like to do it. So the first part begins with what coaching is, uh, where it's used, the business case for coaching, uh, applications of coaching, why a manager or leader needs coaching skills, and who benefits from that. And then things like the coaching skills, such as listening, Uh, asking questions, paraphrasing, and so on. And so the first part is all about giving someone the basics, hence the book Essentials title, the basics to become a coach to their people. The second part is about what I call proactive coaching. These are instances or standard conversations that a sales manager might have. Let's say a pipeline review or a, a deal review or a territory review, performance review, and so on. So I give people the kinds of questions to ask before these interviews take place, how to run them, and then how to follow up for each of those conversations. So again, very practical and lots of lists of questions and uh, sample conversations to look at. The third part then is what I call reactive coaching. This is where coaching can be used when things go wrong. For example, someone is not qualifying opportunities properly. They're just selling and and telling and not really screening out people who are not likely to buy and so on. Or someone is not following the sales process. So these are all the kinds of things which are problematic. And this, this section of the book is all about how to use coaching when things go wrong. So part one is about the coaching skills you need. Part two is about how to coach in a way that enables people to be successful. But we're all human. When things go wrong, what do you do? And that's what the third part's about. So it's practical, it's relatable, and it's quite uh, easy to follow. And I've, I've scrapped so many chapters that were a bit just wordy and waffly. And someone said to me, "What's what's left is something I can really use." And someone else said to me, "This is one of the books I can dog ear because it means I'm using it. I'll not just stick it on the shelf, but I can actually dip into it and use it um, when I'm." stuck in something or when I've got to do something. And that's, to my mind, the highest compliment anyone can give a book. It's useful
1: very good compliment that it's useful and I I Mm. will revisit it. I won't just read it once and then I'm done. I'll revisit it. I particularly like that you give us some sample conversations. And I also like the fact that you talk to us about what to do when coaching's not going well, you know, because we just automatically assume that everybody wants to do better and they're going to accept our coaching and then they'll go forth and be, you know, successful. But what do you do When coaching does not go well, so I can see this being a great book for leaders, not just um, those uh, who are uh, who have sales teams. I can I can see where all leaders could glean a little something from this book. So um, yeah, so where can we where where can we get that?
0: Um, www.salescoacher.com. That's www.sales s a l e s -S 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 c o a c h r no e salescoacher.com and uh, there's, there's a case study to go up there. We've just finished uh, an a 11 and a half, 12 week project with The Economist. That's most people listening will know that as an international business publication. And so there will be a case study up there shortly, uh, all about the work we've done for that organization across APAC, EMEA and North America. And there also is a video from some organizations we've worked with in the UK, in Texas and Austin and in Pasadena. And uh, yeah, some examples of how we can work with organizations who want to get their managers up to speed as sales coaches. And that's, that's one place to start. Otherwise, of course, there is a podcast called The Sales Coach Podcast, and uh, I interview sales uh, learning and sales enablement experts from around the world every week. And otherwise, you can reach me on LinkedIn. That's Mark Garrett, Hayes, G-A-R-R-E-T-T-H-A-Y-E-S.
1: Wonderful. So, hey, folks, go out and pick up a copy of that Sales Coaching Essentials books. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there's lots of information for every every leader, regardless of the team that you're leading. And you can get that from salesculture.com. Culture is C O A C H. R, no E. And you can also find Mark or listen to Mark and hear more, um, on the sales coach podcast. So we want to tune in uh, there to, um, pick up some tips and, uh, also you can just reach him on, on LinkedIn, you know, get in touch with him on LinkedIn and maybe connect and to see what kind of things he's up to, what he's got going on. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for being here today. I really appreciate your time and um, I've gotten a lot from this episode and I'm sure that my listeners have as well.
0: Many thanks for having me on the show, Beverly.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Mark. Have a great rest of your day.
0: You too. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of team building cultures. We hope we have delivered helpful and enlightening information to help you create your dream team. Join us next time.